I want to speak to you tonight about two men. Adam, the first man ever in the human race who came by way of creation. We come by way of procreation. And then I want to speak to you about another man. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world by incarnation. I want to contrast these two men, Adam and Christ. And I want you to understand tonight, my dear friend in this meeting, that you are linked just to one of those two men. Either tonight as you sit in the seat, you are linked with Adam to face death. Not only physical death, but spiritual and eternal death. Or you're linked to Christ in this meeting tonight. And you've received the gift of God, which is everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ the Lord. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful privilege in this tent to preach to you the message of the gospel of the grace of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. If I was to ask you in this tent, who do you think is the greatest person that's ever walked planet Earth? Well, last weekend, not last weekend, a few weekends ago, we were in the city of London and we were traipsing around and going to look at a few sites with the family and we noticed that there were statues that were erected in the city of London. Welcome, come in. That were erected in the city of London for people to observe. Gandhi was there. Winston Churchill was there. Various other figureheads from the history books of the human race. I didn't see that there had been a statue erected to the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not surprised at that, my friend. You see, if I was to ask someone in this tent tonight, who do you think the greatest person is that's ever walked planet Earth? I would get, I'm sure, varied response. Well, among the sons of Adam, just mere mortals like you and I, the Bible tells us of the greatest man to walk planet Earth. Just among mere mortal men, as Adam, that we've read. There's no person like him in the Bible, really, just among the sons of men. Quite an incredible and outstanding character. In fact, if I was to line him up with any person in this tent tonight, you would quite clearly see that he is quite phenomenal in his ability. You see, he was the, he was the first individual to be brought into the human race by the creatorial hand of God himself. And we read... As to who that was in John's record of the gospel. It tells us concerning Jesus Christ the son of God. That all things were made by him. Yes. The man who hung on Calvary's cross. Two thousand years ago. Is none less than the creator. And mastermind of this universe. But the first person to be brought in. By the creatorial hand of God. Is this man Adam. You know, God in his omniscient genius gathered up the dust of the ground and formed this creature man. 
What an incredible creation. I tell you, my friends, in this tent, I am very thankful tonight that we're not just the product of evolution, the process of evolution. I thank God tonight that you're designed. I thank God tonight that you've been put together by God Himself. God thought it and God wrought it. God made it and God laid it. God measured it and God meted it. And God brought in to this world. He spoke the worlds into being. It tells us He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Oh, the mighty creatorial act of our God. And yet he brought in this man. It just says that God took of the dust of the ground. You know there are basically 11 elements in our body. And all those elements can just be found in the dirt that's beneath our feet. Hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, calcium, Phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, sodium, chlorine, magnesium. Just all found in the dirt, just beneath your feet. And they're in the body. It's what we're made up of. And it tells us in the Bible that God, in his omniscient genius, took that dust with some water. And he fashioned a creature, man. He had made all the animals at this point. He's now fashioning a creature man who's going to walk upright on his legs. A man that has a will and a spirit to worship God and he is able to walk upright to make progress in life. I don't ever read of any animal at any point inventing anything. You get some animals and they get some they, they, they get some stones and they knock this on that and they, they're able to break o- open a coconut and do these very basic things. But, you know, all the technology that we enjoy today, <laughs> I don't see them training the monkeys in the zoos or asking the lions or the dogs or the cats. This comes from this creature, man, men and women, created by God himself, made in the image of God, a tripart being, body, soul and spirit. And here we are this afternoon, my dear friends, the creatorial, omniscient genius of God himself. And he fashioned man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and set him in a garden that he had planted with his own hand. And the Bible tells us he made him the guardian and the gardener of that garden. Man entered into that garden in the fullness. I want to prove to you this afternoon that this man, Adam, is the greatest individual to ever walk planet Earth among the mortal sons of men. There are mammals, reptiles, amphibians, birds. Here was Adam in the Garden of Eden. I can just see him standing here. And God brings these animals to him. And he says, Adam, whatever name you name these animals, that's the name it's going to be. I did a little study on this once and I went to the statistic books. Google's a help when you're doing this type of thing. And I went to the statistic books and I got out these books and I read in these books how many thousands of species there were in the animal kingdom that Adam would have named. These international names, 
that's an elephant in whatever language it may be on planet earth. That's the elephant and that's the lion and that's the dog and the various species of animals, thousands and thousands of mammals and reptiles and amphibians and birds and they were brought before Adam and he named every one of them without an interruption from God at any point. God gave him that responsibility. I sat at my little study desk and I thought, I'm going to put myself to the test here. How many new names could I make up just sitting here? I think I got to about ten. Thousands? You think of the intellect of this man without sin in this world. You see, every person I speak to in this tent tonight and every person from Adam onwards is stained by sin. Their mind is affected by it. Our minds are. Do you have sinful thoughts? Of course you do. Do you have sinful motives? Of course we do. Our movements are affected by it. Our manners are affected by it. Our mouths are affected by it. You ever get angry and say something? I shouldn't. I have to go back and apologize for that. I've done that. I know that you've done that. And we sin. And as a result of sin, there's death in the world. That's why we die, my dear friends. It's the result of sin. It's the consequence. It's the just payment for sin, says the Bible, says God himself. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, the tragedy of what sin has wrought into this world. But prior to sin ever being into this world, here was a man who was so intellectual, he could reel off thousands of new names that he had never uttered before in one sitting with no interruption from God himself. But I tell you, the tragedy is this. When he came to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God had commanded him, we read it, Thou shalt not eat of that tree, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. He couldn't even say one word to his wife in the English with two letters. No! And he succumbed. The Bible tells us he was disobedient. That's how sin entered into the world, the tragedy of it. This man lived for 930 years. Quite an incredible life. But from then on, Right to you, my friend. Every person born into the human race is stained with sin. At the very moment of conception, the ingredient of sin is there. That's why some children never make it outside of the womb. They face death even before they exit the womb. Because, my dear friend, we are stained with sin. And it leads to death, says the Bible. But I am so thankful to be able to preach to you in this tent tonight. Though the wages of sin is death. It goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Could I tell you of another man who did not come into this world by creation? He's the creator. And he did not come into this world by procreation. But he came into this world by incarnation. The mighty son of God. Who entered into this scene of time voluntarily. Listen to what the Bible says. In the beginning was the word. 
And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, the wondrous person of God's beloved son. I'm so thankful to tell you tonight, my friend, the purpose of the coming in of the Son of God to this world was that he might rescue guilty sinners from their plight of sin and death. None of us like to face death. That's why we have a country full of hospitals trying to keep people alive. That's why we undergo operations at a risk and take medicines and potions and see the doctor. Because we do not, by nature, want to die. We want to prolong our lives. And there are statistics out and surveys undertaken. And all sorts of things accomplished. There's even scientists called gerontologists. And the gerontologists are seeking to find the phenomena of aging. And if they can work out why we age, they will seek to reverse it. I want to tell you, my friends... The only way we'll receive life and immortality, says the Bible, is through the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. He brings life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what we preach to you in this tent. I remember it hitting me once. I was in the line for a KFC. Uh, They have KFC in Australia. And as I was in the line for the KFC, there was a bucket on the bench of the KFC and it cast in your coins for the cure of such and such a disease. And as I stood and looked at the bucket and heard the coins rattling as people emptied into the bucket, seeking to find the cure to another disease, I thought of how many buckets there are across planet Earth of people seeking to find life and immortality. If only we can extend our lives. If only we can find the key. If only in human feet and strength we can eradicate these diseases from planet Earth so that we can live on and live forever. I tell you, my friend, the only way that you'll find immortality and life is through the person of Jesus Christ why? because the Bible says he is the prince of life, he's the very author of life I think of this man, Adam he entered into a garden in the fullness of human life and he exited that garden in death well we read concerning another man, Jesus Christ he came into this world voluntarily we were singing about him he's the mighty son of God he's the center and son of this universe as I preach to you my friend he is not a dead corpse in a grave somewhere in Jerusalem no my friend Jesus Christ as I preach to you in this tent is seated upon the throne of God and the Bible tells me that every knee shall bow to him and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord whether it be things in heaven or on the earth or under the earth. My friend, you'll not hide from Jesus Christ. The theories of men, the religions of men that propagate all kinds of things. The truth of the word of God tonight, my friend, is that you have an appointment with Jesus Christ. But I tell you in this tent, you can meet him by faith and accept him by faith. 
You see, this man, Jesus Christ, he came into the world with the express purpose, the Son of God, to deal with the problem of sin and death. He went to a cross. And on the cross, Jesus Christ laid down his life as a voluntary sacrifice and took the judgment for your sin so that you may never perish and took the judgment for my sin that I may have life, real life, eternal life. And tonight in the tent, you can come to know Jesus Christ by faith. I'm sure I'm speaking to people in this tent tonight and you have faith. I don't know what your faith is in or who your faith is in, but tell me, is the message you've just heard, does it supersede? Of course it does. This supersedes the religions of men. This supersedes the theories of men. Listen tonight in the tent, my friend. Jesus Christ is the answer to sin. He has vanquished death. He's risen again. He's the mighty eternal son of God. And he's willing to give life to anyone who will trust him. What a saviour. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou, that every knee to thee should bow. My brother's going to come and speak to you. I just want to leave you with this. The first man, Adam, he went into a garden in the fullness of human life and he left under the sentence of death. This man, Jesus Christ, he came into the world and went to a cross and he was buried in a garden. He actually entered into death, but he left that garden in the fullness of life. You see, my dear friend, Jesus Christ has power over death. He has power to save your soul and to keep it for eternity. No wonder the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. May God bless you. Now I'd like to read a verse, but the verse I want to read is the most important question you can ever be asked. Now, think about that just before we turn to it. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. And some of you might just be surprised by this, but it is the most important question that you can ever be asked. Verse number 41 for connection. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Now God will bless the reading of the Holy Scriptures. You know, um, this morning I was worshipping on Genesis chapter 2. That's what I was worshipping on at the Breaking of Bread meeting. <clears throat> and when our brother read it, you know, my soul just lifted. You know, when you're a Christian, you become a worshipper. You become a worshipper of a man who died for you at Calvary and rose again. We are a lover of Christ. And... Um, <clears throat> You know, I know that when you read that question and you say to people um, that that's the most important question, I know that from a previous experience and speaking to people, people say, I thought the question would be about origin. Where have we come from? That's the most important question. 
And other folks say, you know, I thought the question was about purpose. Why are we here? And other people say, I thought the question was about inner peace. How can I know peace and enjoy peace in my life? Another person would say, I would like to know, I would like to know where we're going. And you say, these are far more important questions than the one you've just read. But what if I tell you that if you can answer this question, you can answer all four? What think ye of Christ? We've heard about two categories. As in Adam, all die. Well, I was born into that family. I'm a son of Adam like you are. But there came a point in my life when I accepted Jesus Christ as my saviour. I became in Christ. There's a little verse in the Bible that says, If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I've come to admire a man that's different from every other human being. He's absolutely unique. And he can explain origin, destiny, purpose, and inner peace. I wonder if you've ever considered them. What do you think of Christ? Origin? Well, we've just heard about it from our brother. He's just read John's 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So there was mind before there was matter. That's amazing. That he was the divine Logos, and he is the author and the creator of the universe. Now say someone, I, I think, you know, it all came from a cosmic foam. I think it came from an infinite singularity. I think the whole of the universe, this enormous universe... I think it was smaller than the end of a pin, and yet infinitely heavy. Well, we have to differ with you. We don't have enough faith to believe that. But we can accept the words of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know our little Milky Way, and it is a little galaxy, you know. But it is, it's, it's, um, it's still a billion, billion kilometres just to go across its middle. Can you get that in your head? You are one of... Hundreds and thousands and millions of galaxies. And in each galaxy, millions and billions of stars. And each star, billions of times bigger. And sometimes our little spinning thing we call Earth. God is vast. He's great. And whatever the explanation is to origin, the cause has to be at least equal to its effect. I want to tell you, the man that I've come to trust, he's not an ordinary man. He claimed to be God. It was C.S. Lewis who said that that gave you a great trilemma. He either was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. You know, the idea that you can pigeonhole my saviour into a classification of being a good man, he doesn't give you that option. He's claiming to be the originator of everything. That's why I worship him, because he can explain origin to me. He can also explain design. He can explain Everything, you know, I was just saying to someone, where was it today, yeah? That the mass of an electron, 9.11 times 10 to the negative 31 kilograms, I don't know if that means anything to you, but it's very, 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 very small. And the mass of a proton, 10 to the negative 27, if those two ratios are out just by a whisker, there's no atoms, there's nothing here. God has fine-tuned this universe. Put, this, put the Earth, ah, just so perfectly next to our sun, just not too close, or would all the water be boiled off, be no life. Not too far away, or we'll be dead. Just in the right place. Spinning. Aye, you may be heard of the throwing a frisbee of the Coriolis. Just at the right coefficient of spin speed. Not too fast, or the wind speeds would be too high, we'd all be dead. Not too slow, or the variation in temperature, we'd all be dead. Just at the right speed. And our sun. I'm not going to ask you what the colour of the sun is. That's a difficult question. But I want to tell you, it's got two wavelengths. Not many stars have it. But it gives a red wavelength and a blue wavelength. Just critical wavelengths. 
for a very important thing called photosynthesis for life to form. I want to tell you, we are a product of a fine-tuned universe. I remember, you know, the professor of physics in the, in the Open University putting a series of pencils, trying to stack seven pencils in the air. He called them the seven fundamental constants of the universe. And so you can imagine all these things I've been speaking about were part of that. And he likened to seven pencils standing on end. And he says, if one of these pencils standing end to end just deviates, everything collapses with it. Not only is God great, he's very wise and intelligent. The man that I've come to love, you know, he's the ultimate intelligence. And you're a product of intelligence. You're not just a mindless set of molecules. You're the product of intelligence. And my saviour explains origin. Origin. He also explains purpose. What is your purpose anyway? You know, that's uh, a great question. I know I like to ask that question to young people in high schools. It's amazing. It's amazing the answers you get back. Almost always, initially, the response is a material thing. Their purpose is purely material. Nothing beyond material can they almost configure. And then a few of them begin to edge into it that there must be some higher, nobler purpose than just material things. <clears throat> you know what Apostle Paul said? Here's his purpose, written down in Philippians chapter 1. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You say, why, Paul? He says, I used to hate Christians. He says, I used to take them, I used to put them in prison. He says, I had letters to put a lot of them in prison in the face of fact. If I could, I'd have them killed. I hated them. But the day came when I saw a resurrected Christ. The day came when I saw a man that I detested. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He says, my life was completely transformed by that man. I'm going to spend my life for that man. I'm going to preach for that man. I'm going to die for that man. I'm going to spend eternity for to me to live as Christ. You know, I've seen... Drug addicts saved, alcoholics saved, gamblers saved. I've seen people who think themselves very religious. We can't save them, but we've seen their lives transformed, changed by the power of Jesus Christ. What are you living for? The Lord Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? One thing you've got that's very precious is your life. Very precious, you know. Life's a very precious thing. It's such a tender thing, you know. I was taught early in my in my days that by losing people who we love, how I love very closely, how little that little thread, that silver thread was, can so easily be broken. He's given you a life. Now he's expecting you to do something with it. <clears throat> what are you living for? Is it self? Is it some particular hobby? Is it some particular sin? Is it something material? Or do you have any relationship with the true God? If you ever come to realise that the claims of Christ are immense, what do you think of Christ? What do you think of a man who claims to be God? What do you think of a man who is sinless and pure and holy and harmless? Who never once had to say sorry? Who never once had to revoke a word or reverse a step? Who always said the things with the right motive? Can you imagine a man like that? A man who always got his timing right. Said things at the right time as well. In the right manner. And the Bible says that in him is no sin. I don't know of anybody else it could be said of. The Bible says he knew no sin. The Bible says he did no sin. The Bible says he said on one occasion, which of you can convict or convince me of sin? 
The Bible said on one occasion he said, he that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that speaks of him that sent him, the same is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And you know what, it's a wonderful thing to tell you, but Christ claimed and lived a perfect life. And he went to an old rugged cross. We've been reading about gardens. Well, he went to Calvary, a hill outside Jerusalem, to die, deliberately. To die for the human race and to die for my sins. And at the heart of, his, of, the, of Christian messages, these golden words, Christ died for our sins. And he was buried. And the third day he rose again. He came to defeat the thing that's defeated everybody else. Sin and death and hell. And he did it. He's a marvellous saviour, you know. He's changed my life. He's given me an explanation of origin. He's given me an explanation of purpose. I remember the day when I confessed my sins before him. I remember the day when I became a Christian, you know. I remember the day when I got a sense of calling where I was going. And he taught me to value things that were under my nose, like family and friends. Ah, but he taught me to value something even more precious, my own soul. I tell you, he's worth having. He's really worth having. He explained purpose. But what about destiny and inner peace? Inner peace. You know, it seems to me that everywhere I go, we're drawn into conversations with people, and it seems to be the biggest desire, just to have peace. I want to tell you about a man who said on one occasion these words, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you know anybody else that said words like that? Could it be said of anyone else that he is our peace. That's what the Colossian writer says. Or these words, he made peace through the blood of his cross. That in virtue of his death, we who were enemies against God can now have our terms of peace, friendship, aye, sonship, everything. Because of him. He was a man of peace. The Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. And he can give peace into the human breast. You see, the reason we don't have peace in our hearts and in our breasts is because of sin. Quite simply. There's things you've done and things I've done we wish we hadn't done. And there's things you've said and things I've said we wish we hadn't said. And the preacher's as guilty as anybody. I always, always talk with my wife. If I start pointing at my audience, she says, you just get that finger back and point it in there. She's right, you know. We're all sinners, every one of us. But we can know peace with God. We can know inner peace. We can actually have the enmity, the sin problem removed. It's called forgiveness. I want to tell you about a man that when he was dying on the cross, he said these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Have you ever met a man like that? That even when he nailed his hands and his feet to a cross, and even when he spat full in his face, and even when he took a crown of thorns and wove it in mockery and pierced it into his holy brow, and stripped him, and gambled for his clothes, he was heard to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want to tell you, I don't care who you are. You've got guilt in your life. You go to bed tonight with guilt. I know that, because you're a human being like me. I want to tell you about a man who can forgive you, no matter what you've done. I want to tell you about a man who can forgive you, no matter who you are. But I want to tell you, you need inner peace. And you can try every religious persuasion. You can try all the philosophies. You can try, you can try all, the, all the health stuff as well. You'll never know peace with God until you know God in your life. Never. Never. Keep trying. It won't work. 
But once you have God in your life, you know, you know inner peace. He says, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. And destiny? (laughs) He explains destiny too. But before I leave just that issue of forgiveness, let me say one thing. I was uh, beginning to court my wife, and she's from Wales, and we were taken, we were taken by a couple on a journey, and they stopped off at one point to show us some famous person's grave. <clears throat> and I wasn't quite ready for what happened. It was in a place called Vener, Vener's Churchyard in Merthyr Tydfil in the South Wales Valleys. We were taken into a fairly um, big cemetery, an ancient cemetery, and I was told that this man had been responsible for pretty much all the villages in that area. The Iron Master and all the villages were working to the Iron Will. <clears throat> I was told he was a tyrant and a bully of a man. Anyway, I came and the grave would be about half the size of a tent. Literally, it was huge, lumpy granite, flat on the ground, with a very large iron fence around it, of which you had to stand up to look over. And at the top was written in very small letters, Robert Crochet the date he was born and the date he died. And in the middle of this granite slab were written three words in huge letters. God, forgive me. I wasn't ready for it, ladies and gentlemen. I sat with the hairs going up the back of my spine. He was a man that died unforgiven. He never knew inner peace. It was too late. I want to tell you about a man who wants to give you forgiveness before it's too late. I want to tell you about a man who wants to give you inner peace before it's too late because he speaks of destinies. You see, we heard about it from our brother in Genesis 2 that God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. You're more than molecules and matter. You know that. You're more than the physical senses and the touch, taste and all the rest of it that we have. There's a part of you that's self-conscious. There's a part of you that's aware that you're more than just a number. A part of you that has an identity, a real individual, with a real personality, with a real set of intelligences. And there's also another part of you that's called your spirit. Part of you that's not self-conscious, but part of you that's God-conscious. From the dawn of time, you know, the human race has been afraid of ghosts and demons and spirits and death. Aye, from the dawn of time, there's been an awareness of something that's quite infinite, even though we can't comprehend it. Something that's quite perfect, even though we're clearly imperfect. A longing to know God. And that spirit that's in you is divinely being given to you. And even though you never heard the story of Jesus or never heard the Bible, you have spiritual thoughts. You have desires to know God. It reaches out from you. And so just as God is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, so in his creation he's made space, matter, and time. And so in you he's made a body and a soul and a spirit. And you know what? He tells me that death, yes, the body may well be put in the grave or placed in the the crematorium, but at point of death, the soul and the spirit depart. And he spoke about in heaven and in hell. It was very clear there was only two destinies. There wasn't any middle ground. He spoke about destiny. He said about hell and the lake of fire that it wasn't prepared for the human race. He taught us in Matthew's Gospel, that it was designed for the devil and his angels. It was to put away the eternal wickedness of that evil 
family of spirit beings. <clears throat> but ladies and gentlemen, he did warn that he would have no conscripts in heaven. He would only have volunteers. You see, if he was able just to pull a string on you and you were suddenly to become a Christian and go to heaven, then he wouldn't be God and you wouldn't be a human. You see, he's made you with a free will. He's given you a free will. And God himself is a God of liberty. He only wants volunteers. But he wants you to love him. I want to tell you, he's, he's worthy of your love. He's died for your sins. He's taken the punishment that you deserve. And he's provided a basis by which God can righteously forgive you because he's taken your penalty. He's taken your punishment. And he's taken your blame. And he's taken your shame. And he's taken your guilt. My dear friend, he not only died for you, he rose again for you. He's alive for you. He's now. What's been taken into heaven is glorified manhood. That's what's been taken into heaven. And he speaks about those who are in Christ. And those in Christ, he says, if anyone be in Christ, all things are passed away, all things have become new. He speaks about those in Christ being taken to a great garden. I want to tell you, it's a greater garden than the Garden of Eden. He speaks about a holy city. Aye. And he speaks about a water of life. He speaks about a trees of life. He speaks about it being no night there. I've never imagined the world. I can hardly imagine a world with no night there. He speaks about a world where it says, the Lord God shall wipe away each tear from our eyes. A place where it says there's no more pain. You know, can you imagine a world with no pain? That's what it says of heaven. It speaks about a world where there's liberty, where the gates are always open. A place of variety. Oh, heaven's not boring, I can tell you. You read it about it in Revelation 21 and 22. It's a, a garden of variegated glories. I love the garden. I often think of Eden, like all the, all the, all the fish that went swim in the rivers. I must have thought of all the variegated colours of, of, of all the birds. Eden is nothing to heaven. Nothing. It says of heaven, the lamb is all the glory. The lamb is the light thereof. I'm going now. You say, how can you stand on that platform and tell us that you can dogmatically assert in this tent that I'm going to heaven. Well, I want to tell you, this is my only argument, and this is my only plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I'm as guilty a sinner as anyone else in this tent, but I have a mighty saviour, you know. He really is mighty. He has defeated death itself, and he's given a promise. It's his promise. He says, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's made a claim. He says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes in me shall never thirst. He says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He says, come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You know, his claims are amazing. His promises are amazing. I'm resting on his promises. You know, if you were to go to the tent tonight, and I was to tell you I came from Scotland, and you were to say to me, I don't believe you, you would kind of hurt me, you know, because we tend, we, tend to, we tend to pride ourselves in being, you know, men and women of our word, don't we? I'd like to tell you, just imagine how offended God is when you say to him, I don't believe you. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? What do you think of Christ's claims? He explains origin, explains purpose, explains destiny, explains inner peace, and he warns, of unbelief, you know. Remember that man, God forgive me. You know, isn't it a terrible thought to think you could end your life without forgiveness from God? 
Isn't it a terrible thought you could sit in a tent like this here and hear of such a mighty saviour? But you don't believe. You don't believe. You're not prepared to accept his claims. The Bible says about a place called the Lake of Fire, and it says on the top of the list is the fearful and the unbelieving. It's a very serious thought, you know, to think there could be those in this very, very tent who could end in hell. We are not preaching fear. But I want to tell you, and I can speak for my brother Clive here, this has deeply burdened us, that people could sit in this tent, hear the message of salvation, and miss it. Tragically miss it. We warn you in the fear of God, with all the love that Christ can muster in our hearts, we want to tell you, our Saviour has died for you. He's been buried, and he rose again, and he's absolutely mighty. He's majestic. He's holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled. And he asks you this question. What do you think of Christ? He was quoting, you know, from a psalm. Psalm 110. The Lord, Lord Jehovah, said unto my Lord. He's the Lord, you know. He's God. Oh, he's a man, a real man. He understands you. You've been snubbed? He's been snubbed. You've been misrepresented? He's been misrepresented. You've been maligned? He's been maligned. You've been poor? He's been poorer still. If you've been ridiculed, he's been despised, rejected. He understands you. He also can explain your biggest questions. He can unravel all of life's mysteries. He can give you eternal peace. And right now in this meeting, he can give you everlasting life. We invite you to consider his claims. What do you think of Christ? This is the biggest question you'll ever be asked. There isn't any bigger. Because, I want to tell you, if you refuse him, one day, you know, you'll still answer that question. The Bible tells me that in the coming day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will bear the glory. He'll either be your saviour or your judge. It's either you and your beliefs and your systems and your sins or it's salvation and forgiveness and joy. It's either hell or it's heaven. My dear friend, he's got claims. Consider his claims tonight. Consider them. If I could just show you his glory. If you know if we could just sweep back the curtain of heaven and show you him, you'd fall on his face right now. I know that. If I could allow you to peer into hell, I tell you, you'd fall on your face. I know that. But we can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can reveal to you your sin. What think ye of Christ? Allow those words to burn in your whole soul. As an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, I couldn't keep it up. None of us can. We're all made of the same stuff, you know. But he keeps you. That's the, that's the marvellous thing. He keeps us. And the God that can save us is the God that can keep us. And keep us for all eternity. What think ye of Christ? May God bless his word. <laughs>